Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. And we are the active voice of women over 70, aging reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club. And we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. And so, Betty, we are so happy to have you on our show today. Welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. And Thank Betty, you. I'm delighted to be here. Good, good. So Betty Rouch is age 77. She lives in New York City and was referred to us by our Women Over 70 guest, Ronnie Buckley, who was episode nine. Both Betty and Ronnie are supporters of the Transition Network, and we'll hear more about that later. During her career, Betty was a remarkable marketing expert. Now retired, she volunteers for numerous organizations and provides the services for which she became known. As she says, I pay the Fortune Society, New York Friends of the Nurse Family Partnership, and the Transition Network to let me work for them. Since your retirement in 2015, Betty, volunteerism is so important to you. So tell us a little bit about why you feel that way. Well, I, having worked my um, entire adult life, pretty much with very short timeouts to uh, have babies, two of them now way grown up. I did not want to have my retirement years be nothing. Um, I think that for humans, one of the most important things that we can have in our lives is purpose. And so I just switched from getting paid to being a volunteer and a supporter of organizations that I cared about. Um, and it allows me to feel as if I have, am living a purpose-driven life. And I think I'm doing good for, for them. I'm sure you are. You, you were a marketing expert, correct? Yes, I, um, I, but that was after I, uh, 12 years, um, no, maybe about 14 years after I had graduated from college, I started out as an arts administration person working in um, visual and performing arts. And um, when, after I got my MBA um, and it really made me realize that education was wasted on the young. Um, I went into first advertising and then client side um, marketing 
And, um, and then eventually I ended up with my own consultancy and I was working on branding and communication strategies for nonprofits. And I already knew a lot of non about nonprofits because um, the arts institutions that I was working for were, were, you know, um, not they, the Museum of Modern Art and the Folger Shakespeare Library and um, others were nonprofit organizations. So, Betty, I have a question for you. In your full time getting paid uh, in work, <laughs> yeah. you were you were in charge. You were directing, and you were, you know, in charge. And sometimes that we hear from women who've mo- moved into that sort of retirement phase or semi-retirement that they, they want to con- keep contributing and, and, vol- and offering their, their talents, but they don't want to be in a leadership position. They don't want to be the one in charge. And I'm wondering how you approach that. Well, to be perfectly honest, I like being in charge. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought I'd hear. <laughs> um, and uh, I actually, um, so... The, the organization that I have worked for most, almost my entire adult life um, is called the Fortune Society, and it helps men and women to come home safely and productively from incarceration. Mm-hmm. And um, I had started, uh, to give you some idea of how of how old I am, many years after I started being a donor for them, I actually taught Word Perfect. There mm-hmm. probably are people on this podcast who remember Word Perfect. I, I taught Word do. Perfect to <laughs> ex-cons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then eventually I went on the board and I loved being the board chairman, of, uh, which I did for actually nine years because... Um, they were very bad about term limits. Um, I found that one. Of, I found that I would say the the most the best thing I ever did in my life, and I think it's because um, I was running the board. And when I was younger, I you know I don't I didn't come from that the generation of my of my daughter um, of being of assuming that I was going to be in a powerful position. Mm. And it just felt great. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, nobody in my family ever asked me what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that for women of our age, um, there aren't, there aren't that many of us who or maybe I mean I, I'm I'm I can only speak from my own experience, but I I thought that I was kind of going to do what my mom did, which was to maybe work for a little bit and then have my children and then be you know active in my community. It just never occurred to me to think about do I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a or an arts administrator. I just you know um, that all kind of came to me. So when I wasn't in this position of power as the chairman of the board of this very large social service agency, I was in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do regret that I didn't 
know that, that I didn't understand that um, I could have been much more effective, much more powerful, much more um, serious about my profession when I was younger. Or when, when did this happen? I was the board chair of the Fortune Society from, I think, 2009 until 2000, just before 2015 or mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I had, I was, I mean, I wasn't fully retired at that point. Um, and I don't think there's another thing about retiring or not retiring. And that is that um, my husband, who is um, older than me, retired. And it didn't, it didn't feel like it made sense for me not to be retired. I mean, because um, I think that, you know, in back then when he retired, we thought we would travel more and we had... At that point, we, our children, you know, we started having grandkids and it just didn't seem right that I would continue to work when he Mm -hmm. was not. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, um, but so the point about, I guess the most important point, I think for, for women of um, our age is, is that you have something that brings you both joy and, and um, satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has become um, volunteering in a, in a really serious way. But I was thinking about something else as I thought of talking to you two wonderful women um, about reimagining aging. And that is the extraordinary amount of wisdom and experience and scar tissue (laughs) women our age have and how we can and should position ourselves to be in mentoring, you know, in a place where we can take, where we can help people coming up Mm -hmm. um, thrive and be more effective. I guess. You know, Betty, uh, I'm wondering as you're talking about this, I, I think it would be of value for you to talk a little bit about what what impact or or what is needed for someone who is a board chair to really create impact. Hmm. So, um, so many women want to get on boards. And then what, yeah. what do they do with that? Why, what, what are they supposed to be doing with that? Why should they, you know, they think it looks good on their resume, mm-hmm. but there is real purpose to being on a board. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, but of course it depends on the board. I mean, I, I, what I was able to bring, I think, to Fortune as the board chair was of uh, the focus that I had gained in my marketing career um, about considering who the various target markets, the targets were of our work, and um, and and reminding um, and working with the development department about 
making sure that the messaging that we were delivering was um, accurate and effective and and motivating. Um, one of the things that uh, I mean, so that so I think that what we can bring to board work is um, it, and there's something else too, and that is the. For those of us who have worked in organizations to bring a kind of realistic assessment of how complicated um, uh, that, that, non that all organizations end up, in my opinion, just replicating dysfunctional families. I mean... <laughs> You know, I used to do marketing consulting and I ended up thinking, I, you know, I was a management consultant or a psychotherapist in the end. Um, and I think that, um, I think that board members must take their responsibilities really seriously about, about guiding an organization and and bringing the their their best um, their best skills to serve does um, is that does that answer your question, Gail? Because I think that people have very different skill sets, but being on a board is not just to polish up your resume, and it particularly if you're working with a nonprofit board. You have a huge amount of responsibility. Um, we, I mean, board the board in the end has the fiduciary responsibility, and um, you you just you just can't ignore that. Right, for sure, that's right. But and but the other thing is, people are always asking me, you know, well, what do I do, and how do I get involved, and what. And I think that the, the first thing that one can do is to think about what you care about <laughs> and then find organizations that do that and see, you know, if you can help. Mm -hmm. Yes, that extends to the work that you do and the, and the clients that you take on if you're, you know, able to have any decision in that regard. And so, yes, I think that's a very important point is, is thinking about what do you care about? What are you passionate about? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I would love someday to, um, it would be fun to talk to women who are on court, who have gotten themselves onto corporate boards, mm -hmm. because that's, that's a, I think that's a very, very different kind of, um, uh, responsibility and um, demands. Mm -hmm. um, but, and it's kind of sad, it seems to me, when you look across our landscape of women in their 60s and 70s who have worked, how few of us are serving on corporate boards. Mm -hmm. Right. I think they're, they're scared of us. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, right. <laughs> so, 
So um, tell us tell us about the New York Friends of the Nurse Family Partnership. Ah, well, that was that's an, that's another one. Um, so one of the things that's happened to me, I guess, is um, because I got I I have organized um, some um, volunteers, a whole a whole cadre of volunteers at the Fortune Society, and I got known as somebody who can work with volunteers, and so. A woman who I at, who actually I um, knew, who was also a Wellesley woman, got in touch with me and asked me if I would talk to her about the New York Friends of the Nurse Family Partnership. Um, and the idea was to get volunteers organized, um, which um, we did. But I had never heard of this organization before. And it turns out that the Nurse Family Partnership is a nationwide organization that works with young women having their first child who are in low-income communities. Mm -hmm. um, may, some of them are married, some of them are not, but they are all um, they are all in places where they are not getting great medical have great access to medical care and to and to the kind of supports that the people having their first child need. And so they're through um, a very uh, sophisticated research project. What was discovered was that intervention with a, with a registered nurse from the time a woman was 28 weeks pregnant until the time that her child, her first child was two made an extraordinary difference in the future of that child. And, um, and so this, the woman who contacted me had started a friends group for the nurse family partnership that is active in New York City. And one of the things that they also discovered was that in it, that the nurses are doing an amazing job and they are incredibly overworked and it is this is hard stuff mm -hmm. and that the mothers also had very specific needs that were not able to be covered by the nurses for example women who wanted to who needed to pay off student loans and get back into school women who needed a computer, just a simple laptop or, or tablet so that they could do their schoolwork. I mean, there's all kinds of, of needs of, that, these, that these young moms have. And so this remarkable person, Susan Orkin, um, started a friends organization. And one of the things that they started doing was to raise money in an area called Heart's Desire, which would which would provide grants to the moms to do some of the stuff that they needed to do so that they could um, get full, get work, take care of their child effectively. I mean, it just, the, I mean, the needs are immense. Um, and so I, I didn't stop at all uh, being involved with fortune, but I, I actually, um, have become a huge, uh, um, passionate supporter 
of the of the New York Friends of the Nurse Family Partnership, which I just think is an extraordinary organization. I'm sure you've got one in Chicago. Uh, I think they're in 43 of our 50 states, mm -hmm. and they just do a, such an interesting job. So, um, Betty, I'd like to ask you ab about Wellesley, because it has seems like it has had such a major influence on your life and continuing with women that you knew and getting you involved in different um, yeah. organizations and the deep friendships and personal interest to me is the um, the Wellesley Centers for Research on Women. Yes. And I'm interested in what you, what your involvement was there. Yes. Um, well, the thing that's funny for me about Wellesley is that I didn't get involved back with the college until my 30th reunion. <laughs> of course, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> um, and although I had remained friends with a number of people, I mean, I think that those, it is, it's fascinating how impactful our college mm -hmm. or university time is. I mean, you know, we are going through so many changes and growing up and I have, I have amazing friends from that time. Um, but, and one of my friends who actually I, I met, I knew at Wellesley, but we became very, very close friends because we were both involved in planning the 30th reunion at Wellesley, um, had, had been um, involved with the, um, the Wellesley Centers for Research on Women and asked me, because at that by that by this time I'm known as I'm known as a marketing person and asked me if I would get involved um, to see if we could get some New York people more involved with the centers and so um, I was extremely interested in in what they were doing and how and you know this this long history of of looking at societal problems and issues from the perspective of women, which, mm -hmm. as you know, doesn't happen all that often. Um, and the centers continue to do really serious academic, um, both uh, academic research in, in areas like childcare and how it affects, um, how it affects entire families and in they did some very very good work in um in bullying in classrooms mm -hmm. um they were the that the wellesley centers for research on women were the people who had done um groundbreaking work that ended up with title nine um litigate um legislation of girls in sports um so i i I thought that we needed to get New York women interested and involved in um, the centers. And so we started a series of, of luncheons once a year um, called Women And. And then we would pick a topic that, what, that the, the mm -hmm. centers were already doing research on. Mm -hmm. So it was Women And Sports or... Um, uh, we the first one we did was women and the media. Um, it was helpful that 
Diane Sawyer had gone to Wellesley. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so that, that was a, that was a really fun, fun time. I am not as involved anymore. I've, Mm I, um, I, I still, of course, donate to them and they have a, a new amazing director. Um, and, uh, I think, I think it's a really terrific organization that is doing, um, really, you know, groundbreaking, important work. Yeah. I, 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 go ahead. Now I was just going to say every, every organization these days is a little bit quieter, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, of necessity. Yeah. Um, so the, the Wellesley Center certainly had a major influence on my, my life as a, a researcher and a teacher. So I, I, uh, very, oh, really? But, oh, Do yes. Very, mm-hmm. Have you met the new director, Laley? No. I, she has this incredibly complicated last name, Mara Parian. Uh She's absolutely marvelous. Um, I will. Check her out. I was going yeah. to ask you too. Are you an advocate of all women's colleges? Um, I am an advocate of a liberal arts education. Mm. I am an advocate of learning and thinking and being and learning to be critical. Um, I am not opposed to women's colleges. I was my my daughter. Um, we have a son who uh, went to, um, he didn't, couldn't go. And my daughter, who had grown up at, a, at an all-girls school in New York, very smartly said, I don't want to do that for college and mm. ended, up, <laughs> ended up at Williams. It starts with a W, so maybe it's... <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I am not... I'm not opposed to them. I just don't think it probably works so well anymore. And but, why not anymore? Um, well, I just don't know where, you know, where young people are coming from. Mm. Um, but mm. every time I go back to Wellesley, I am, uh, and I go back because I'm now involved with the Davis Museum up there, which is this beautiful, wonderful um, regional museum um i i think that i think that wellesley is doing a really interesting job of developing women who see themselves as leaders from Mm -hmm. the time they get out Mm -hmm. you know from the time they graduate and are independent you know powerful women who and I think Wellesley is doing a better and better job. Mm-hmm. You know, I got married at the end of my junior year. You know, okay. uh, I don't think I don't think a lot of Wellesley women are doing that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think that Wellesley has morphed in some really interesting ways to re- to re- remain a relevant institution in a world where women's colleges are really like, what, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your perspective on that. Very interesting. <laughs> so when we talked, you said that you were freaked out about being old. <laughs> I, and I remember how hard you started to laugh, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> 
So why, why um, tell us more about that? Well, how much to reveal? <laughs> um, I, I, all my life, I have been, uh, uh, I've exercised and danced. And um, so I, I feel amazingly great. Um, I inherited this unbelievable skin from my mother, who, by the way, did not pass away until she was 103 and a half. Um, that's a terrifying thought. Um, and, uh, and so I find myself at this age, which sounds so old to me, 77, and I don't feel it at all. And, um, or sometimes I feel it, but it just, it, it just, I couldn't believe that I had, that I was that old and I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, I'm not, sanguine about it i'm i'm not there's nothing i can i understand that there's nothing i can do and so in a way i do fall back on that concept of trying to live a purposeful filled mm -hmm. life you know and i don't think i'm finished <laughs> um one of the things that I am learning, which is making me feel better about being older, and um, the new the new board chair of the Fortune Society said it to me the other day when I told him that I had started another project there, and I hadn't called him to tell him about it, <laughs> and he said, he said, he said it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, and so yes. I think, and I had heard that before, but I never realized that it actually was going to affect me so strongly. And so I've decided that um, instead of being freaked out about how old I am, I'm, I'm going to try to just do more things, make more things happen that I think are important. Um, and, and worry less about being, you know, I'm going to may, I'm going to be 78. Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how how do you feel? How do you feel about it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I want to be seventy eight in May. <laughs> do we have the same birthday? Maybe we should check that out later. <laughs> Celebrate together by May. <laughs> I'm older than you. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you don't think. You you were freaked out about it, and and you've come to the conclusion that freaking out about it doesn't help anything. Is that right? Oh, totally, totally. It's like, you know. And so I find myself telling people all the time how old I am, in the in the hopes that it's going to just make me stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, um, we are different. We are a different generation than our mothers. And our mothers, of course, were a different generation than theirs. But I do think that I thought maybe that maybe 70 is the new 50, you know. <laughs> um, and we're healthier, we're stronger. And, and uniquely for our generation, for our cohort, we're the first group of women who have had long-term professional lives. 
Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of reinvent who we are and what we do and how we look at this, what used to be, I mean, you know, people used to die at 65. That was, that was, they, they didn't yeah. make it, you know, our, our, we're really, um, and we're, and we're strong and healthy and we know a lot. So um, I think we have, I, I love that you got, that you are part of the people who are trying, who are figuring out um, how do we, how do we still really function at high levels and meaningful levels in mm-hmm. our, in our communities? So, so the truth is, Gail, I'm trying to be less freaked out. <laughs> well, Betty, I was going to remind you what you, what you had said earlier about we have extraordinary amount of wisdom experience and scar mm-hmm. tissue. Yeah. So we, yeah. you know, we own it. And um, yeah. I, I, I really like how you talk about functioning at high levels and, and uh, contributing to the younger, those coming up and doing, you know, finding things that matter to us and then doing it. Yeah. And I think that um, the, you know, right now we're in a really um, kind of delicate political place. Mm-hmm. We need to support this, this democratic republic we live in. We need to make sure mm-hmm. that, that children all across this country have, are, understand what it means to have a constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that I mean, I, I just think that, that we have this amazing con- this amazing combination of stuff, you know, both wisdom and scar tissue and compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, we're grandmothers after all. A friend of mine once told me that the word crone, which we think of as this horrible, wizened, scary creature, that crone is about it are, are wise women, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I just, I wish we could figure out a way that to, and and sometimes it happens. It happens with TTN. It it, it um, talking to Ronnie. I realize that it, it's happening with a group of women in in Chicago. That um, to to um, harness this amazing this amazing power that we have and use it to to help our you know our country. Mm-hmm. That's a well said. Beautiful, <laughs> well a beautiful said. note to end on. And we thank you so much, Betty, for all your wisdom and experience and compassion, and all of the work that you're doing is just so needed. And uh, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you. So I love. I love. Um, thank you that for asking me to do this, and I loved getting to meet the two of you. Um, it's one of the, one of the fun things is that, um, there's, there, we're really, women are really good at what I call flocking. You know, we flock together and the reaching out and having two new friends in the Chicago area. What a treat. (laughs) So thank Uh, you. Yeah. Thank you, Betty. And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group and No matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. And we'll see you next Wednesday. 
Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.